0: Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce today's video series, which takes the form of a panel discussion. From Melville Douglas, please welcome Head of South African Equities, Paolo Senatore, Chief Investment Officer, Bernard Droshi, and Head of Equity Research, Mervyn Naidu. The conversation will be moderated by Tandi Ngwani, Head of Third-Party Investment Distribution at Melville Douglas. The panel will be discussing investment strategies in the current environment and giving us some guidance on where to from here.
1: As economies around the world relaxed restrictive measures to the pandemic, investors have also started to monitor and question the sustainability of the rebound in both the global economy and investment markets. My name is Tandi Nguane and joining me to discuss investment strategies in the current environment, I'm joined by three panelists from Melville-Douglas. Joining me, I have Chief Investment Officer Bernard Drochi, Head of Equity Research Mervyn Naidu, as well as Head of Domestic Equities Paolo Sanatore. Welcome, gentlemen. Mervyn, I'm going to start with you.
2: of uncertainty in the There's definitely a high degree of uncertainty in markets at present. I'm sure that Paolo and Bernard will talk to macro considerations, which are extremely relevant at present. I'll rather focus the discussion on some considerations investors should bear in mind at a company and sector level that are key to delivering attractive long-term returns. The need to pay close attention to earnings drivers is paramount. Understanding what we think is priced into stocks and based on our conviction levels, particularly around the delivery and sustainability of outcomes, assists our decision-making. While the risks are indeed elevated, one needs to bear in mind that we also expect greater volatility, which does create opportunity. In addition to the earnings drivers themselves, diversification plays an important role in managing uncertainty And we express this through diversifying the mix of earnings drivers and understanding concentrations within the portfolio. This feels much more uncomfortable in practice than it sounds. In addition, financial resilience acts as a buffer for uncertainty. None of us know what the future holds, but well-run businesses with financial flexibility have a greater chance of navigating uncertain times and are, in fact, often the beneficiaries of challenging environments. Financial resiliency through balance sheet strength and strong cash generation is the company's shock absorber over challenging times. And lastly, valuation discipline, what can become which can become extreme on either end of the spectrum. The current environment makes traditional rule of thumb valuation metrics more challenging and one has to be highly selective. There are a number of areas in the market that are unattractively priced due to greater earnings visibility and momentum, and one has to be disciplined in assessing the valuation relative to its long-term earning sustainability and growth prospects, and be prepared to cut positions. Equally, one has to be courageous enough to build positions in out-of-favor sectors when your conviction level allows you to do so.
1: Thanks, Mervyn and um, Paolo. I'm going to come to you. I mean, looking at the indices, they're all over the place. Um, in your view, do the indices tell the full story?
3: Thank you, Tandi. I think it's uh, quite a complicated matter this in the sense that the industry returns are quite polarised. There obviously is a, a pandemic that we're facing and very weak economic conditions. And we know in South Africa, we've seen a four big fall in, in GDP, for example. Some industries, however, have benefited out of the, the virus situation. And and that reflects both in South Africa and, for example, internationally as well. But if you look at those industries that are exposed to the South African economy, the banks, for example, then many of those counters are down 30-odd percent for the year because they are a reflection of the South African economy, the difficulties companies have, the debt situations. And so that is purely reflective. Yet, on the other hand, if you look at the index, it seems relatively flat, but it's driven by... Counters like Naspers, for example, which is Tencent, obviously based in China, which benefits from the whole platform and internet of things, the, the technology side. And of course, in South Africa as well, the platinum stocks have more than doubled in the last year. So, the index index has been driven by Naspers and, and the precious metals, as an example. The rest of the economy shows a very difficult and different picture. As I mentioned, the bank's 30-odd percent. If you take a South African conglomerate, industrial conglomerate like Bidvest, once again, down over 20%. Many of the retailers down 20 30%. So, when you dig down, actually, there's been really harsh conditions. And that's not only true of South Africa. If you look at the S&P, for example, certainly, you'll find the top five stocks of the S&P, being the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Googles of the world, all up very significantly. Yet, if you look at the rest of the market, it hasn't really shown those kind of returns. So, the index in itself can be misleading because certain sectors are doing really well, benefiting from the current environment, and others not benefiting. So, obviously, working with Google, working with Microsoft benefits under this type of environment, those kind of companies like a City Lodge, for example, in a hotel group where, where no one obviously is traveling, then those those kind of industries suffering terribly. So there's really two sides to the indices that we see at the moment.
1: Paolo, thank you. Thanks so much for your insight there. Bernie, perhaps I'd like to bring you in now. Um, I think you'll probably agree that the two prevailing drivers of investor sentiment can probably characterised as the trend is your friend and don't fight the Fed. Um, Now, we've seen the Fed reinforce its stance to keep interest rates low. Um, Can lower for longer interest rates actually continue to support these expensive valuations we're seeing?
4: Thank you, Tandi. Um, Certainly, that has been a feature of uh, global equity markets this year, especially outside of South Africa. So what we've seen um, has been significant re-rating in the valuations of uh, not just global equities, but also other risk assets. Uh, In South Africa, that's slightly different. in that a lot of our companies have just become cheaper uh, on the back of growth concerns. So when we talk about a re-rating in equity markets, what we mean by that is that this, the share prices um, increase at a much faster rate than, than expected earnings. Now that is not unusual, but what is what, what is a little bit unusual this time around is the extent of the re-rating that we've seen in global equity markets. So as an example, uh, the MSR All-Country World Index this year started off with a 16. Uh, uh, times forward price to earnings uh, multiple um, that is currently sitting at 20 times, so a significant re-rating over a short period of time. In actual fact, this re-rating started last year uh, when the Fed started to cut uh, interest rates uh, in the effort to try and stimulate the economy, which was uh, at the time slowing down. Now, clearly, this year the Fed has been a lot more aggressive, in line with other central banks, to cut interest rates, and that has provided an underpin to to um, global equity valuations. So lower interest rates um, have obviously made uh, the cost of money exceptionally cheap. And due to a lack of alternatives in both cash and bonds uh, that are both offering very unattractive yields, investors have been forced to take risk. As mentioned, risk assets have obviously benefited from this. And when we talk about that, it'll be global equity, specifically uh, gold, uh, and also on the fixed income side within credit, we've seen a significant re-rating in that market as well. So to answer your questions, um, valuations can be sustained at these levels if rates continue to remain quite low, uh, which we expect, but uh, this is only possible if it's supported by growth. So any disappointment in the growth outlook or any unexpected shock um, will make these assets quite vulnerable at current valuations. Uh, irrespective um, of, of, of the current valuations, I think what uh, investors need to take account of is that going forward we would expect in, uh, returns to be slightly lower than what we've seen of late, simply because we would expect interest rates and valuations to normalise
1: over a period of time. Thanks, Bernie. You know, I think we we started off with some of the considerations that investors um, would need to have. So. Mervyn, I'm going to come back to you and and I'd like to pick up almost from where you left off a little earlier. Um, You know, we've seen extreme movements of the various sectors, both in South Africa and globally over the last 12 months. And there's been huge disparity in in the sense of returns. Um, My question for you is, can the trend of outperformance, certainly of certain sectors, can this still continue?
2: Thanks, Chandi. That is indeed the million-dollar question. I think the macro outlook may well impact the trajectory for different sectors um, and different styles of investing, particularly over the near term. Um, For example, the outperformance of growth relative to value has been extreme on a year-to-date basis, and the outperformance has been concentrated in certain sectors of the market. Um, Paolo spoke about this a bit earlier. On the global side, it's been predominantly tech, discretionary health care that has benefited, and on the domestic side, again, tech, gold, platinum have, have been significant outperformers, while the rest of the market has largely lagged. The laggards have typically been in the more cyclical areas of the market um, and would be more reliant on strengthening GDP growth to support its earnings growth prospects. That said, the broad narrative at a sector level often doesn't tell the full story. And for performance to persist, one needs to identify opportunities that are underpinned by earnings delivery to support the performance.
1: Mervyn, thank you so much, um, Paulo. I'd like to perhaps just focus on on the South African markets uh, for a moment. Um, we see. I, I'm not sure whether there's much to be said about value in the South African market. Some investors might argue not. Um, But in your view, um, are you seeing value in the South African markets and and how do you believe um, we might be able to unlock some of this value?
3: So within the South African context, there is definitely significant value and many of the counters have re-rated backwards over the last year or so. And many of the sectors, as we've highlighted previously, the sectors and the shares that have done well are the platinums, and of course the naspas process which is a 10 cents operation essentially and those have carried the index forward and when you look at the index for example the year the year return on the index is flat but having said that as i mentioned earlier precious metals many of them are over 100% something like a naspas is 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 over or close to 30% so really strong returns but that really means the risk of, the rest of the market have reflected or discounted a very poor operating environment and when you look at many of the counters historic dividend deals and of course they're not going to necessarily be able to repeat that dividend in a very short while look quite attractive so you will get some of the banks on a seven eight percent historic dividend deal if they can get back to that type of level that would potentially be an attractive proposition however having said that we know that the GDP is going to fall on us quite significantly and and certainly we we anticipate the recovery <clears throat> excuse me during the course of next year and then normalized growth, which in the South African content context is probably below two percent GDP growth rates, maybe one and a half thereabout. And so what really these shares of value and one would maybe even point out a property sector, for example, which has come back significantly, what they need is a return to earnings growth, and that would require an underpin of economic growth. Having said that, we don't think that that's going to unravel in the short term. We do think that whilst back to normalised PE level may may result in double-digit type equity returns, this is probably more of a two or three-year story. In other words, taking two to three years to get back to 2019 earnings level. level. So for the patient investor, there may well be opportunities. However, having said that, even if we look at the property market, for example, which has re-rated, in a, it was the darling sector at one stage and, and really collapsed on us. The question is how can they or are they able to get to, to those normalised or pre-2019 earning levels? Maybe – The way we operate, working from home, less need need for office space, for example. Landlords maybe not finding the pricing power that they had against tenants. As in the past, tenants have certainly found a new level of pricing power and locking in uh, lower rates. So maybe one's just got to be aware of some structural changes to certain industries that might make it difficult for those companies to get back to 2019 and pre-earnings levels. But within pockets, certainly with economic growth coming to the foreground, some of these companies were able to leverage their earnings per share growth and may well look relatively attractive.
1: Thanks so much, Paolo. And Bernie, perhaps in closing, um, I think the big, big question for me is where to from here? How does one actually think of asset allocation currently?
4: Thank you, Tandi. Let me start off by saying that if one takes a long term view, it is crucially important for investors to have exposure offshore, uh, and, and in particular, it needs to be in growth assets such as global equities. So um, I think we're all aware of the reasons why I wanted to take some of your money offshore, um, but just to go through, through some of them quickly. I think the first thing is that um, you know, if you look at South Africa, you know we're quite a, quite a small fish uh, in, this, in a huge ocean. Um, Our economy is less than 1% of the global global GDP. Also, secondly, the opportunity set in South Africa is quite limited and very, very different to what uh, one would find in international markets, uh, where there are many more sectors uh, or stocks for us to consider. Then, of course, in South Africa, we're currently dealing with structural headwinds. Um, So some of those would include lack of policy, uncertainty, unemployment, um, the healthcare situation in the country, education, and then of course, corruption, which keeps surfacing, surfacing its ugly head. So in the near term, however, we feel that, that South African assets offer good value. As Paolo has mentioned, in order to unlock that value, one would need some improvement in growth. Um, but, 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 but given the, the, the significant differentiation between the valuations in South Africa, uh, relative to the more pricey international assets, in the near term, we would probably favor uh, South, African, South African assets. Within uh, the international portfolio, our preference is to own equity over fixed income. And then the reason there is quite simple. Although those valuations are looking a little bit on the expensive side, one starts up with a dividend yield of say 2% plus, that compares with cash and fixed income giving you basically 0%. So if one were to invest into fixed income at today's levels, uh, you're basically guaranteed of earning a negative return in real terms, and in some cases a negative return in absolute terms. So certainly from an income point of view, it makes more sense to be invested in equities, even though, even though they are looking a little bit pricey at this at this point. In South Africa, however, it's slightly more difficult. We've got South African equities, especially the, the domestic stocks uh, that are looking quite cheap. But then of course, you also have bonds in South Africa that are, that are offering good value as well. In South Africa, one can invest in a 10 year bond, government bond yielding more than 9%. So at the current inflation rate, that basically gives you a 6% real real rate of return. Um, even if inflation was to move from, say, the current 3% to 5% of the time, um, investors can still earn a quite a nice positive real return of in, order, of in the order of 4%. So that is quite attractive. So for the time being, we actually have an overweight position to uh, domestic bonds over domestic equity, uh, where we're currently neutral, but any improvement in the outlook for growth in South Africa would, will probably result in in an increase in our exposure to domestic equities.
1: Bernie, thank you so much. Um, These are certainly trying times, but despite that, just given the conversation we've had, there certainly do seem to be pockets of opportunity. Um, I'd like to thank my panelists, Mervyn Naidu, Bernard Hidrochi, as well as Paolo Senatore. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having shared your insights with us Uh, today.
0: um, And to our viewers, a big thank you and goodbye. Thank you so much to the panel for sharing your insights with us. That brings us to the end of this video series in our Phenomenal Family series. And thank you for joining us. Don't miss our next session where Hirsch founders Margaret and Alan Hirsch will be sharing their family success story with us. Until then, goodbye.